The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 65th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And Denise, this show, we are covering the legend of the Rougarou. You just want to say Rougarou. That's an awesome name. I totally pick this just because I love that name. Sort of like a didgeridoo. Sort of like a didgeridoo. Yeah, that's that sounds like, but this one is not Australian at all. No, this one comes right out of the bayou, and this is right up our alley because one of our favorite Disney movies is... The Princess and the Frog. Oh, I can hear the Cajun tunes playing right now, Louis playing his horn, and my favorite character in the movie, the little firefly. Ray. Ray. I love him, especially because he speaks such great Cajun. Yes, he does. But of course, my favorite is Princess Tiana. And for those who may not be aware, as we talk about our dog, Tiana, that's exactly where she got her name from. Yes, she did. Little Princess T. All right. Well, before we get into talking about the rigaroo, we do want to point you in the direction of our website, historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could possibly want to know about the show. Find us on social media, how to listen to the show. Our complete archives is up there. Our Emporium is there where you can buy all kinds of great stuff. And we did have some suggestions from one of our spectacular crew and executive producers, Heather, about some items that she'd like to see in there. So we got those right up there. And it's probably a good idea, Denise, because, well, I hate to admit it, but fall is right around the corner along with winter, so it is time to break out some of the hoodies and sweatshirts and long-sleeve tees. Yes, absolutely. And you made sure she had those to order, and I think she ordered it the second you posted it. Exactly. So she can wear it for camping, and we love camping, so that's such a great idea. We'll be doing the same ourselves. Also, you can subscribe to the newsletter there, and if you would like to donate to the show, you can do that there as well. You just click on the Support the Show tab. Or there's also a donate button if you just want to send us a one-time donation. We just taped our second haunted true crime this morning to share with all of you who are sponsors of the show. Yes, we did. Wahaha. And Denise, if anybody wants to send us any feedback or message us for some reason, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did have someone else join us at the Spooktacular crew. Denise, that would be Jaden. Hey, welcome, Jaden. 
And it was so cool. Jaden drew us a picture. Yes, he did. And it was awesome. We love it. So I did put that picture up in the Spooktacular crew and also up on our fan page, the History Goes Bump fan page at Facebook. So if you have perused one of those two areas and you've seen that picture, Jaden's the one who drew it. And there's a ghost in it, too. It's very cute. It is very cute. And also, Rachel, who's a member of the Spectacular crew, and again, another one of our executive producers. I've been watching her stuff on Facebook. Denise, did you know that she makes children's costumes? That I did not know. So I've been watching her and, you know, she does years and years ago. I used to have a word working company with my sister. So we did the craft show route. And so I've been watching her sharing her wares at different festivals and things of that nature. Also, Rachel, you will be receiving your History Goes Bump logo mug sometime this month. Yes, you will. And finally, Denise, over in iTunes, we did get another review. Cool. This one comes from, people might remember, we did mention the Hateful Dead podcast on our last podcast, and that is hosted by Sarge and Phil. And Sarge not only gave us a nice compliment over on our fan page, but he wrote a review as well. Five star. I'll start off by saying I approach this podcast tentatively at best, as this is not the sort of podcast that I normally go for. That being said, I absolutely loved it. Host Diana Denise have created a show that is both informative and entertaining without being a boring ghost story narrative. I'm glad I decided for once not to judge a book by its cover. I've added this to my list of regulars and look forward not only to hearing future episodes, but to the daunting task of catching up on all I've missed. Great work. Thank you so much for that, Sarge. We greatly appreciate that. Yes, thank you very much. Also, we mentioned on the last podcast, Denise, that there's going to be that paranormal convention here in Orlando. Well, that same weekend, I forgot to mention, Scarefest is going to be in Lexington, Kentucky. So anybody who is in the Lexington, Kentucky area, they're going to have the Scarefest there from September 11th through the 13th. And I am so excited that History Goes Bump is going to be represented at one of the tables. Yes. Because our good friend, Tanya, will be representing us over at her Zombie Pops table. Yes, so thank you, Tanya. And just for those who are listening, this is 2015. So exactly. if you're listening in archives, you might not want to go to Scarefest on those exact dates of 2016. <laughs> and there's probably not going to be anything there, indeed. And also because of all the wonderful uh, help that Tanya's been doing in regards to the Scarefest and other things, she is listed as an associate producer over on our Support the Show page. Absolutely. Thank you, Tanya. And we are approaching the end of August. As a matter of fact, as we record this, it is the last day of August. Denise, last month, in the month of July, we had a little over 6,600 downloads of the show. Which that's very, very cool. That was our best ever. It was very exciting. It was very exciting. Do you know how many downloads we have for the month of August? I don't know the exact number, but I know it's over 11,000. It is over 11,000. We almost doubled our downloads from last month. That is mind-blowing to me. And again, we say it all the time. I hope that it doesn't just come across as, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Thanks to our listeners. Yes, thank you very much. You all are the ones who make this podcast happen. You know, whatever the Scarefest number eight is, it's flashing pictures across your screen And they look really, really creepy. So I will be just the first to say I probably will never be attending Scarefest because it's like this freaky looking clown 
some werewolf looking thing and something else. I'm like, ugh. May I just say, Denise, though, if you take it from the perspective of look at that awesome makeup. Yeah, they also have awesome makeup over at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal and they ain't going there either. Well, yeah, I don't think these things are jumping out from dark spaces at you, though. Oh, it's more like face off. You know, it's a convention. So these are probably people who are doing some of their own stuff. Okay, so it doesn't have to jump. I turn around and see this creepy face with all these like creepy clown. I would be screaming. I, he wouldn't have to jump. All right, I'm going to hit the little X here. There, Scarefest went away. It's no longer on my okay, computer Okay, but have screen. fun, Tanya. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And our listeners know that we like to share podcasts with them when we find a really cool one. I found another great one, themythpodcast.com. Check that out. It's the Myth and Legends podcast. It's how you can find it over on iTunes. Jason is a great host, and the legends he's covered so far are Aladdin, Mulan, uh, several of the knights in King Arthur's court, just lots of great stuff. He digs deep and pulls out as close to the truth as he can. And he does it in a very entertaining way. So I highly recommend it. Are you ready to talk about the Rougarou? I am ready to talk about the Rougarou. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. Why not make yourself useful when you're dead? You've heard of sustainable fish. Why not sustainable burials? Capsula Mundi, a company out of Italy, has introduced organic burial pods. These pods look similar to the alien pods featured in the movie Cocoon. If you're young and haven't seen that great movie, Google it. A dead body is put inside the burial pod that is made of biodegradable plastic starch. The pod containing the body is buried beneath a young seedling tree chosen by the dead person's family. As the tree grows, the roots wrap around the pod and feed off of the nutrients of, well, the human fertilizer. This process makes you and I tree food. Rather than a field of tombstones, cemeteries would become forests. As avid taphophiles, we vote for having a tombstone near the burial trees at least. This process would help do away with the 800,000 gallons of embalming fluid used each year and the millions in pounds of copper, bronze, steel, and wood needed for caskets. The idea of being food for not only bugs, but for a single tree does seem a bit strange, but in the end, just think, someone might decide to use your tree like Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree, and then you can be part of someone's house too. Now that certainly would be odd. On this day, September 3rd in 1838, a 20-year-old black slave named Frederick Bailey escaped from his master in Baltimore. 
The young Bailey had yearned to be free and had tried to escape two years earlier. A fellow slave betrayed him and told the slave master of Bailey's plan. Bailey was thrown into jail and then sent to the shipyards to work there. He learned the trade quickly and adopted the jargon of a sailor. All of this was to prepare him for his next daring escape. On September 3rd, he disguised himself as a free black sailor and jumped aboard a carriage bound for the train station. He carried a friend's protection pass, which worked the same as free papers. When he arrived at the train station, Bailey skirted around the ticket agent and jumped aboard the train into the segregated car. As the conductor came through the car, Bailey held his breath. The physical description on the pass did not describe Bailey in the least. Thankfully, the conductor was distracted by the beautiful eagle emblazoned on the pass, and he did not read the pass in its entirety. He collected Bailey's fare. The escape continued aboard ferries and other trains, and Bailey finally made it to New York. Bailey later moved to Massachusetts and worked as an anti-abolitionist. He feared captured from escaped slave catchers, and so he changed his name to a name that would live into infamy, Frederick Douglass. Deep in the bayou originates the legend of a mysterious creature. There are more than gators, cottonmouths, snapping turtles, and the giant rat-like nutria in the swamps. Haunting howls in the middle of the night indicate that something large, wild, and scary roams about the mangroves. Tales about this creature have been passed down through the generations. Were these stories created just to scare the children and keep them from wandering into the swamp or to get them to behave? Are these tales just simply made up to explain the disappearance of domestic animals? Join us as we delve into the legend of the Rougarou. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The bayou is an area full of superstition and strange stories. Some of these superstitions include warnings against sleeping in the moonlight, or you might go mad. Mirrors hung near the front door of a house will keep evil spirits from entering because they are so captivated by their own images, they will gaze upon themselves until the sun rises and chases them away. If an alligator is found to be under your house, it could mean that someone inside the house will soon meet their end. Drilling a hole in a dime and wearing it around your neck will also ward off evil. Hmm. I wonder how that actually happens. I don't know. Why is it a yeah, dime? Is that silver? Oh, silver maybe. Oh, you know, I never thought about it. That could be. But a quarter is a bigger silver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If anybody knows, let us know. Most people are aware of the strong French influence in the bayou. The dialect of Cajun itself is a derivative of French mixed with English. 
The term rougarou comes from the French word lougarou, with lou meaning wolf in French, and garou being the term used to describe a man who turns into an animal. European countries believed that werewolves were real creatures, and the French brought these tales with them to the new lands they sailed away to, both in Canada and America. The people of Louisiana use both lougarou and rougarou interchangeably. But before anyone mistakes the rougarou for just another word for werewolf, let us explain how very different this particular creature seems to be from our understanding of the typical werewolf. Wolves are not a common part of the landscape in Louisiana. A core part of werewolf mythos is that a human is bitten by a werewolf, survives, and thus becomes a werewolf as well. Somewhere in the lineage, an actual wolf has to have been involved. This would be nearly impossible in Louisiana, and so many other animals are used in the legend. These animals include cattle, pigs, and dogs, and these animals are generally white in color. Some stories do claim, however, that a person could be cursed with lycanthropy through witchcraft, and thus they could become a rougarou. Some folklore even claims that just seeing a rougarou would curse the eyewitness with becoming the creature. And unlike werewolves, moon cycles have nothing to do with the human becoming a rougarou. The rougarou maintains its human intelligence while in the animal form, giving it complete power over what it does. So this means, Denise, it's not just carrying on like a wild animal, tearing up whatever's in its path. It's actually thinking about what it's doing. So when it's killing a human being in that way, there's a part of it that's still human. That's kind of terrifying. And that they would be charged with first-degree murder because it was pre-calculated. I would love to see a Rougarou up on the stand. <laughs> I think the judge wouldn't want to sit so close to him. Maybe he would be at Scarefest. Uh, you know, I saw some pictures. Apparently he is. Yes, I agree. An even more bizarre twist to the legend is that sometimes a Rougarou will venture into a small town, not seeking people to devour, but looking for someone to deal it a fatal blow so that it can be freed from the curse. Upon being shot or mortally wounded in some other way, the Rougarou will transform back into a human and tell its attacker his true name. The attacker must not repeat the name or even tell anyone about the incident for one whole year, or he too will be afflicted with the sickness that will turn him into a Rougarou. One such tale claims that a young boy was walking out of the bayou when a white dog came nipping at its heels. The boy became angry and slashed the animal with a knife. The dog transitioned into a man, and he warned the boy not to tell anyone what had happened. The boy could not resist, and he told several friends. Soon he was disappearing from his room late at night. He would return in the morning with no explanation as to where he had been. Several months later, he was found dead in the street, and the police claimed it was a suicide. But we know better, and hopefully this did not result in a new Rougarou terrorizing the town. It is quite clear that the Rougarou is some kind of shapeshifter. But what exactly makes this creature dangerous? Apparently, the Rougarou is a bloodsucker like many of its other counterparts, the Chupacabra and Goatman being examples. But even that is not where the true danger comes in in regards to this creature. Some believe that the Rougarou has nothing human about it at all, and rather that it is some kind of demon that has taken on human form, albeit an animalistic human form. Its proportions are almost impossible, with people claiming that it rises to seven or eight feet tall. It has large canine foreteeth and even more horrifying, red glowing eyes. The Rougarou is accused of abducting people and leaving their torn open bloodless bodies in the bayou somewhere. You remember when we did our other show, we had the guy who was the cryptozoologist that was on the show 
And he had talked about a wolf-like thing that had glowing red eyes, but it was, what was that one called? I can't remember. It was like the dog man or no. I'm trying to remember because we talked to Linda Godfrey and she's the one who does the dog man. Was it the dog man? Maybe it was Linda Godfrey that we talked to because I just remember that people would see it with their car and it had red glowing eyes and it was this huge dog-like but, yeah, on, but on two feet. I'm thinking it was Linda Godfrey that had mentioned that there was this creature that right. had the glowing red eyes. And I think it was in regards to the dog man, which would make sense because Chupacabra is kind of considered to be a dog-like creature. And she definitely had mentioned the goat man as well. I mean, you're talking about something that is an upright creature that can walk on its, you know, two legs. It's bipedal. And she, I think she'd mentioned that that was one of the the features was these glowing red eyes, which makes you wonder, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? Because if you were to shine a flashlight at an animal and you're getting the reflection back from them, Generally, I don't believe you're going to get red. You're going to get more of a green. Or they're kind of like, they look like little... Or yellow. neon, like when we saw the raccoon reflecting back at us at Christie's Because we're farm. talking about, yeah, I mean, because, of course, you get red eye when you take pictures, but these this is before people were ever taking pictures of it. Um, but it's interesting that they think it might be some sort of a demon. I wonder if that's where the red eyes would come in. Hmm. Could be. But it kind of gives claim that... They're seeing them more than just a bayou, possibly, just a different name. Well, what I think is interesting about all of these legends is it's not just so much that it's a different name for a different region, and it's just the same creature. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, a is a werewolf. No, it's no. not. They're, it, they're all different creatures. So it just makes you wonder why these different regions, if it's just that the legends have changed because that's the creature that would fit that particular area. Like we have our swamp apes here in Florida. You don't hear about a swamp ape anywhere else. Well, it could just be the region just in general with animals. And if you're talking about more of of these type of animals, because like we don't have prairie dogs here, but they run all over Colorado, but we have armadillos here. So they're totally different animals, but so it might just be regions they're similar in features, but they're different because of the region that they're living in. Indeed. And we're talking as if these things actually exist. Do they? I don't know. These yeah. stories came from somewhere. Is yeah. it because they saw something or were they just making up scary stories? I'm one of those people, although I'm a skeptic, I am open-minded. And I believe that a lot of this stuff all comes with some grain of truth to it. Exactly. The legend is so strong that many reality shows have featured investigations about the Rougarou. Destination America featured the legend on their Monsters and Mysteries in America show. History Channel's Cryptid the Swamp Beast covered reports of torn apart animals in Louisiana, with many locals claiming that it was the Rougarou. Even the Yadabon Zoo in New Orleans has an exhibit featuring the Rougarou. Texas Cryptid Hunter reports on his blog the following story. Back in 1996, the De Quincey News reprinted a rather unusual story. It tells the story of a woman named Barbara Mullins who stumbled across something very unusual on the side of a rural Louisiana State Highway. Mullins was driving down Louisiana State Highway 12 when she noticed what appeared to be the road-killed carcass of a large animal at the edge of the road's paved surface. She decided to stop and have a look. What she saw amazed her. She described the animal as being roughly equivalent in size to an adult St. Bernard. The beast was covered with a thick, matted coat of reddish-brown hair. What really stood out to Mullins was the overall simian appearance of the animal. This didn't look like any sort of dog that she had ever seen. The snout was more like one would see on a baboon than a dog. The ears of the animal were small and pointy, not dog-like at all. The feature that stood out more than any, however, was the very unpaw-like feet of the creature. 
They were long and elongated and looked much more like the feet of an ape than those of any canine. Mullins, unlike so many people who have seen strange encounters, had a camera in the car and she took several intriguing photos. And we do have one of those photos that she took up in the show notes. If you just go to historygoesbump.com and you click on the blog tab, it will send you over to our blog. And this is under episode 65, The Legend of the Rougarou. You'll see that picture there. And it is indeed strange. It is very strange. I'm not sure what that is. The story continues with the Texas cryptid hunter saying, I have to admit that the photos of the derider roadkill, as the carcasses become known, are very interesting to me. The Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries wasted little time before stating the animal was nothing more than a Pomeranian dog. Others felt, due to the simian-like features present, that the animal was some sort of primate. Some ventured this was physical evidence proving the existence of none other than the legendary Rougarou Lougarou. A Pomeranian dog? Do they know what Pomeranians look like? <laughs> Here, here's the problem that the cryptid hunter pointed out, and I, I, I thought it was a good point. When you look at the picture, there's nothing to give you any kind of idea of what size it is. Oh, this is true. Okay. So there's a rock behind it, but I don't know how big that rock is. He wished that somebody had put like their foot in the picture or something that we could compare it to, a shoe, something. Because it, it does have the hair of what would look like a Pomeranian. Very, very fluffy, fuzzy, mostly hair. But it also, when you look at that face and that snout, it does look kind of baboonish. Yeah, or so, even bat. Yeah, you're right. It does have a, the, those giant flying bats, yeah. the fruit bats. It does. So it makes you wonder, was this a Pomeranian dog that had was feral? Had it caught like rabies or something? Because the, the fur is definitely not... I don't know. When a Pomeranian is dead, does it fur turn black, reddish color? This is a color I've never seen on any dog I've ever looked at before. No, when well, when I first saw the picture without looking as, like looking close and without looking, knowing about size or anything, to me it almost looked like a spider, like that consistency of like a tarantula hair. If, you, if, you're, if you're not looking close, if you're just kind of looking at it at first glance, I thought it was a spider at first. Yeah, it's whatever it is, it's weird. Very weird. She, she took a picture of something that is very weird. And what drives me crazy is anytime you see these stories, why in the world did somebody not pick this up and get us some DNA? What is this? Is this a cross between something? Is it something bizarre? For me, when it comes to things like this or Bigfoot, and we talk about and we've asked people in the past, why haven't we ever found their dead bodies? Here we have the dead body of a strange looking creature. And we do nothing and with it. And we don't it. do anything with it. But I also wonder how it got left here because I sometimes believe that when it comes to something like Bigfoot, is it interdimensional? And so it's coming from a different dimension. And so that's why we never see them dying here because they take whatever dies with them so that it's not here. Who knows? Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, have a look at the picture. See what you think. We'd love to hear your comments about that as well. What do you guys think that thing is? Absolutely. So how does one go about destroying the Rougarou? As detailed earlier, some tales claim that just stabbing the creature is enough. But most stories claim that the creature must be either decapitated or burned up with fire. These details make the Rougarou seem all the more dangerous. Was this creature simply devised to scare children into good behavior? Does some kind of hairy beast prowl about the bayou? Is the Rougarou a legend or could it be real? That is for you to decide. I hope to never meet it. That's all I know. Me either. And we, we like to go into the swamp. So I'm like, not into the swamp, but we're down by the swamp 
pretty I will regular. tell you, there's a lot of creatures in the swamp that I'm probably more afraid of than the Rougarou. And since apparently you think I'm part of the Slytherin house and that I'm a parcel tongue and can speak snake because everywhere I go, snakes seem to follow. But anyway, if we went out in the swamp, not only would we have all the cotton mouths coming, but every other thing that's there that's snake-like. And then, of course, you have your alligators and who knows what else. But you have that cute little voodoo lady from The Princess and the Frog. I'm not messing with voodoo either. That's <laughs> probably more terrifying than the snakes. Exactly. All you have to do is hang the bottles in your tree. That looks really cool, actually. All the glass bottles, all the different colors. Denise, that doesn't work in palm trees. I'm sorry. I'll have new decorations out come September. And I can tell you the HOA, if we start hanging bottles out in our magnolia <laughs> tree, we're going to get the boot or a huge fine. Something. <laughs> I'll tell them, no, you go back down here, honey. <laughs> Ain't no trouble at all. Would you like to come in and have some gumbo? I actually make pretty good gumbo. You do make a good gumbo. Denise, on our very next show, we're going to go to Ohio. Oh, and what's in Ohio, Diane? The Ohio State Reformatory. Ooh. Yikes. State Reformatory. You put state in anything to do with locking people up, and it's definitely going to be haunted. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. We want to thank everyone for joining us on this show. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers for this episode have been Levi Drescher, Rachel Cooper, Dan Foytick, Janice Carlson, Patty Hunt, Stephen Pappas, Jade Lewis, Heather Williams, and Liana Sapien. Thank you. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. <laughs>